Hello and welcome to episode one of Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. We're bringing you a roadmap to build a better Congress. My name is Nick Bushcar. I'm joined by the co-founders of Elect 535, Michelle Olson and Rena Schneer. Hey, Rena. Hello. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Nick. We're also joined by fellow political journalist Angela Carbone. Hi, Angela. Nick. For the past two election cycles, our team has been building a suite of data-driven online tools focused on United States congressional races. Make sure you listen to Podcast Zero in order to get a sense of what we're looking to cover on this show. Today, we're excited to kick things off with the first of a three-part series covering the upcoming 2022 Senate races. Michelle, I'd like to start with you. Could you speak to the overall state of 2022 from the perspective of the Senate? Yeah. Hi, Nick. Um, I just can't believe that we're just 19 months away until the 2022 elections, uh, less than a year away from the first primaries. So I thought to start off the series, it would be good to give some broad strokes overview to the 2022 races. Um, Just like in 2020, there will be 34 Senate seats up. 14 of those are currently held by Democrats, and 20 are held by Republicans, which puts Republicans slightly on the defensive just in terms of the numbers alone. 25 of those races have been designated solid by the major rating agencies, meaning that they would be very nearly impossible for the other side to flip. Those are 10 Democratic seats and 15 Republican seats. That leaves four Democratic seats in play and five Republican seats in play. Among those Democratic races, Cook rates two of them likely remain Democrat. That's New Hampshire with Maggie Hassan and Nevada. And the two most special election flips, uh, Georgia with Warnock and Arizona with Kelly, are in the lean D category. Sabato is a little less hopeful and has all four of those races as lean D. Uh, Among the five Republican seats in play, there are two open seats in Pennsylvania and North Carolina, both rated as toss-ups. Ohio is also open, um, and Wisconsin is not open, but those are both rated lean R. And Florida, with Marco Rubio, is a likely R. Um, Needless to say, at this point, Cook believes that the map favors Democrats at this time. Um, However, history tells us that the party in power most often loses in the midterms. So all's up in the air right now. Thanks, Michelle. Angela, we're coming off two contentious races uh, in, in Georgia from the 2020 cycle. And now Raphael Warnock has to defend his seat again. Uh, what can you tell us about the state of Georgia? Well, Georgia is definitely an, uh, the state to look to look at in the 2022 elections coming up. Um, Raphael Warnock has to run again because it was a special election for him. And he won his his uh, competition against Kelly Loeffler, uh, 51 to 49%. So that was pretty close. But Warnock seems to be managing pretty well right now. Um, In particular, his first, 
His maiden speech in the Senate grabbed a lot of attention nationally, not just for Georgia residents, but throughout the nation. He uh, talked about voting rights, and that's a very big issue coming up for the 22 election. Um, after he had expressed condolences about the eight people who were slain in Atlanta, he went on to talk about the assault on voting rights and the importance of the People for the People Act um, to solve that issue, which is coming up in a lot of states uh, in terms of of the laws that are being proposed to limit voting. He called those laws the Jim Crow in new clothes. Um, and as a preacher, Warnock knows how to inspire people to move them, and that should serve him well. Um, however, uh, and oh, and then he also has a, an advantage in terms of spending, uh, uh, having enough money in his campaign. Um, right now, uh, at the end of the year, he he had three point two million which is really helpful to start the campaign. And he's he is now engaged in a very, very strong uh, fundraising effort, uh, at, which is a good thing because the Republicans are, are, uh, are aiming at his seat. And they are doing what they did in the down-ballot races which in, in Georgia in, in uh, 2020, which worked well for them. And they're trying to paint him as a radical. And they're... the, the the first attack ad that the GOP came out with uh, had is attacking Warnock for supporting the COVID Relief Act. Um, and Warnock, to his credit, has said nothing. He's been mum about this attack ad, which is very smart because I'm sure he figures that uh, speaking out against giving people money in his state is probably not a good thing. Uh, but there are there are a number of Republicans who are lining up to to compete against him. You have Kelly Loeffler again, looking at a run. Um, she already, she started a group to mobilize Georgia Republicans. It's called Greater Georgia, um, in much in the way that Stacey Abrams had her fair fight. So you can see that she's still very much into the political scene there. Um, former U.S. Rep Doug Collins um, is looking at possibly a run and um, for either the Senate or the or Governor Kemp's seat, um, he just started a radio talk show, which is one way the Republicans do like to to start candidacies. Um, former Senator Perdue uh, is not running. There was a lot of talk that he was. He's decided not to. But there there's U.S. Rep. Drew Ferguson, Attorney General Chris Carr. Uh, business executive Kelvin King, and Trump's choice, Georgia football star Herschel Walker, who has not said that he's not running yet. Um, so the, the governor's race with Brian Kemp running against possibly Stacey Abrams, likely Stacey Abrams, is going to be a, a, very, a very important race to watch also in Georgia. Yeah, I wanted to dig into that a bit deeper. Um, uh, Stacey Abrams hasn't declared... Uh, uh, her candidacy for 2022 governor's race yet. What layers of that race would affect the Senate race? Well, sir. I want to say that I actually heard from somebody in the nose that 
uh, she's likely running. So I think for now we can assume she is running for the governor. And that, and I would say that will be a great impact in terms of turnout. That's true. And, and the fact that her, her race last time was so mired in political action against voters, shall we say, um, that could energize her base again. And particularly with the, with the state looking at so many different types of laws to, to limit early voting, to, to, to limit ballot boxes for the early voting, to make it a crime to give people water if they're standing in line to vote. Um, that could backfire against the Republicans and it actually could energize her candidacy for governor. And that will. I that, mean, just imagine eliminating soul to the poll. What that can do absolutely. to say, okay, you don't give us, you don't let us vote on Sunday. We'll come anytime. Yeah. I know. It's, it, it's definitely yeah. And 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 the the Reverend Warnock did speak to that too in his speech on the floor of the Senate, um, saying, you know, we we are at the churches. We're we pray together, we speak together, and we vote together. And isn't that a terrible thing? It isn't a terrible thing. Um, so it, that I, I don't think they're winning the hearts and minds of, of moderate Georgia voters by opposing uh, the these by these draconian voting measures. You just wonder what practical measures it will have when they say that voting can only take place between nine and five on a weekday. Um, and in addition, they have the whole uh, redistricting before them. And that's a whole unknown factor. Are Carolyn Bordeaux's and Lucy McBath's seats going to be completely up for grabs because they're going to grab a few thousand voters out of another nearby district um, to put them over the Republican edge? Um but that will not change the the statewide. It will change, of That's course, correct. the Congress, uh, and and maybe it will impact turnout in some way, at least in the near future. They, by the way, also uh, eliminate going to or want to eliminate some absentee ballots. So no absentee unless you're uh, older or uh, assist somebody who is older. So th- there will be. Uh, some consequences. It may be, hopefully, in the short term, it will actually rally people around making sure they vote. But uh, but remains to be seen, and definitely, if Stacy is is running, it's not also clear to me what Kemp is doing. Is he for sure running for uh, a governor for a second term? Is he going to challenge the Senate? Uh, not sure. It's fascinating. Uh, Just coming off uh, such a contentious election in 2020, so many different things uh, that are going to affect Georgia, and we'll have to wait and see uh, how all of those play out. Um, And now, if we head north a bit, Rena, what can you tell us about Wisconsin's uh, 2022 Senate race? So I call Wisconsin the e-drama state. I think there will be a lot of drama in Wisconsin. So uh, just kind of to set the stage, Wisconsin has been the last two presidential election flip-flopping, right? It, uh, Hillary lost by 22,000 votes and Biden won by 20,000 votes. So very narrow margin both ways. Uh, they have one senator who's Democrat and one senator who is Republican. So it's Baldwin and Johnson. Um 
And uh, I would say it's considered now the most vulnerable, at least for now, non-open Republican seat. Um, so let's start actually with the Democrats. There are already about seven people that are being discussed uh, or even uh, submitted, uh, filed for running. Uh, there is Tom Nelson, uh, who is a county executive. He already officially declared his uh, candidacy. He was, uh, for six years, he was in the Wisconsin State Assembly, including two years as the majority leader. So he has some, uh, people are familiar with him, let's say. There is also, of course, uh, talking about the sports, uh, professional uh, sports, either players or owners. So there is Alex Lazary. He's the son of the co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, the basketball team there. Uh, of course, that also means uh, he has a personal funding, uh, which can um, help him. Uh, and there are a few other candidates, uh, including two women. Uh, one of them is the state treasurer, uh, Sarah Godlewski, who is thinking about running, not declared yet. Uh, another one who did declare is uh, Dr. Gillian Batino. She is a career medicine and public health, focusing on uh, specifically women health, like breast cancer. And uh, she has been practicing medicine in unprivileged areas, uh, focusing on equity, racial justice. Um, another person that's uh, kind of uh, in the top of the Democratic prospect is the Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who is black and has a very large base, uh, especially in Milwaukee. Uh, another option is still remain to be seen if Ron Kind, for example, will run. He's the Wisconsin uh, 3 representative, but if there is redistricting and he's um, kind of not likely to win it again, he may go for a state run. There is another candidate, Samuel De Amico, not very clear um, what's his credentials. He's currently a law student at the University of Wisconsin, but he's formally declared. So this is just the democratic uh, landscape uh, for now. And of course, there is Ron Johnson. And he is making a lot of news. It's not First, it's not clear that he's running because he, uh, in 2010, when he was elected, he said that he would only run for two terms. Of course, now uh, he's rethinking, not clear when he will make his decision. And he, by the way, won uh, by about uh, five points, five percent in 2010 and about three percent in 2016. So his margin narrowed, and he's now viewed as the former guy, the former president uh, person. So he totally is aligned with everything uh, about the election fraud. Of course, he voted after the riot. He still voted against certifying the Arizona election. He just came, of course, and actually deliberately, most people would say, said that he was not uh, afraid during the insurrection, but he would have been if that 
were Black Lives Matter uh, vo- uh, protesters. So, uh, of course, that made a lot of headlines. And the question is, why is he making those headlines? Is he doing it because because he certainly knows better? Is he doing it because he wants to uh, run again? Or maybe he's eyeing a 2024 presidential run, in which case he may run for Senate or may just jump right into that in 2022. Well, Rena, I'd say that definitely fits with my perspective on a lot of different Republicans uh, today, which is that they see their uh, voter base very motivated by the current arguments, the current, <laughs> the current war about the culture wars. Um, and so, uh, you know, when I hear you say he knows better, I, I think it, it, to me, it comes off as very purposeful. My question to you is, um, out of everyone on the Democratic side, has anybody risen to sort of the top of the list as uh, the main contender um, for who might be the potential actual general election candidate? So I would say the most talks talked about candidates, I would say, are Alex Lazary, Tom Nelson, and uh, Mandela Barnes for now. But M- Mandela has not declared yet. Right. Yeah. Do you think that uh, Ron Johnson's foot dragging on on uh, announcing is going to hurt the Republicans? Because that's kind of common belief that if a if an incumbent takes too long, it hurts the party's chances. Well, certainly because people cannot declare and cannot start fundraising. Uh, but it's still a bit early, so it's not that he has to declare in the next month. But if he doesn't, let's say, by the summer, it does not make a decision, I would say uh, yes. And probably he will. Well, at this point, for our final competitive race, Michelle, I'd like to go to you. Uh, Pennsylvania is uh, going to be just as hotly contested as Wisconsin and Georgia, especially since Pat Toomey announced that he's no longer going to uh, seek a re-election. What can you tell us about Pennsylvania? Yeah, you're right there, Nick. Certainly Pennsylvania is going to be one of the most looked at states. Um, with T- Pat Toomey's retirement and as well, um, Governor Tom Wolf is term limited out um, as a Democratic governor um, in Pennsylvania. So in 2022, there are going to be two really high profile races taking place there. Um, and setting off a scramble for, in both parties um, as one from each is retiring. Um, it's important to keep in mind that Pennsylvania is probably about as purple as they come. Um, I guess it would probably be tied with Wisconsin for that. Um, also flip-flopping, um, in 2016 and then 2020. Um, I will point out that Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat, did win his Senate seat in 2018 with some healthy margins by over 55%. So a Democrat, a good Democrat can actually do very well in Pennsylvania. So let's take a look at the Democratic candidates. Certainly the most high profile one um, to declare thus far has been uh, the current Lieutenant Governor, uh, John Fetterman. Um, he certainly cuts quite a figure at six foot eight and some, I don't know, probably over 300 pounds, um, former linebacker, 
And he's also been a social media darling. Uh, He came out with some pretty heavy punches against the former president when he claimed election fraud in Pennsylvania. Uh, And he just has quite a story to tell, giving up a rather... um, nice upper middle class uh, existence to really dedicate himself to working for the rural poor. He moved to Braddock, Pennsylvania um, and worked for nonprofits there and eventually ran for mayor. Um, And he became a media darling um, for all of the fight he put forward for um, progressive policies. He ran for Senate in 2016 um, and took 20% of the vote in the primary. And then in 2018, he ran and won for lieutenant governor. Um, And now he recently declared uh, his candidacy for Senate, and he raised over a million dollars upon his announcement. So there's a lot of positive momentum for, for Mr. Fetterman. Um, Also, having just jumped in the race, is Malcolm Kenyatta. He is a state rep from Philadelphia. He was first elected in 2018. He's a young guy, 30 years old. He's black. He's one of the very few openly gay um, representatives in Pennsylvania. Um, And he's also considered incredibly progressive. Um, So both he and Fetterman are fighting for the progressive wing of the party. Um, which leaves in a very purple state some room for a more moderate candidate to jump in. Um, There are um, some moderate candidates on the Democratic side considering it. Uh, Representative Connor Lamb, who you might remember, uh, won in the special election out west in Pennsylvania, uh, taking the uh, taking a long-held Republican seat. He has made. Uh, some comments expressing interest in running. Uh, and then there has also been mention of Chrissy Houlihan, who also flipped PA6 um, in 2018. Uh, she hasn't made quite as many direct comments, but said she's thinking about it. And then there's also the Congressman Brendan Boyle, who's held uh, office for a little bit longer. So there's a lot of activity on the Democratic side. Uh, there's also some activity on the Republican side. Uh But it's interesting to note that Pat Toomey, while he retired uh, because he said uh, he wanted to go back to private life for personal reasons, it can't be uh, unnoticed that he was a rather anti-Trump Republican moderate. Um, And so it couldn't have been a very pleasant place for him to be. Um, And so it's interesting to note that the Republican candidates thus far have also been moderates um, who have taken pretty anti-Trump stances as well. Um, The most prominent Republican to formally jump in the race right now is Jeff Bardos. He's a uh, real estate developer from Montgomery County. Um, he's definitely distanced himself from Trumpism. He ran and lost against Fetterman for lieutenant governor in 2018. Um, in the pandemic, uh, he actually started a nonprofit called the 30 Day Fund, uh, which raised quite a bit of money to help small businesses uh, survive. 
Um, also considering a run is Craig Snyder, who's been known for a while in Republican politics in Pennsylvania. He was the chief of staff of former Senator Arlen Specter, who you may remember famously switched parties from Republican to Democrat after he supported the Obama, uh, tax relief package, um, and felt that he couldn't uh, win as a Republican anymore, and it turned out he couldn't win as a Democrat either, and, and thus ended Mr. Specter's career. Uh, Snyder is also very anti-Trump. He actually started a super PAC in 2016 to support Hillary Clinton, um, and he just finished a stint as president and CEO of the World Affairs Council in Philadelphia. Uh, so not exactly a, a MAGA screaming um, Trump supporter. Uh, also expressing some interest is Ryan Costello, uh, who is the uh, former um, congressperson from uh, District 6. Um, again, he is definitively anti-Trump and would be running as a moderate. In fact, the only candidate thus far to declare um, with any kind of name is Sean Gale, um, and it would be hard to imagine that Mr. Gale can win. He and his brother are actually running together. His brother uh, is running for governor, and uh, he's running for the Senate. He's a really young guy. He's under 30, uh, ardent Trump supporter. Uh, he ran unsuccessfully for county commissioner in 2019, so it's hard to imagine that he would get uh, broad support across the uh, across the state. So at this point, there are no real credible um, MAGA supporting uh, Republican candidates in Pennsylvania. We'll just have to see. Has Toomey endorsed? Has Toomey endorsed anybody? Nobody. He's been radio silent after his uh, his announcement in October. In fact, in his announcement, he talked about looking forward to working with a. President Trump and a Republican Senate. So uh, <laughs> it, it's very different than he imagined it would be uh, when he made his retirement announcement. So so what do you think a, a rematch between Bardos and Fetterman would look like? And would you like to see it? Well, that seems to be a, a, a viable one. Although you would think that a name like Costello or even potentially Brian Fitzpatrick, who is a current congressman, could jump in the race, um, would be a more prominent name. Uh, certainly, Fetterman has that everyman uh, gestalt that seems to do really well in the western parts of the state. He wears a work shirt to work every day. Famously, he goes around in shorts in the wintertime. It would be interesting what kind of figure he would cut in the House in the U.S. Senate. Um, but I think he has real appeal in those working class neighborhoods that a Democrat would have to take. Uh, his tattoos don't hurt either. I know, right? He has a tattoo with the date of every single murder that happened in his town of Braddock on his arm. And the it's other arm is hit the zip code of his town. It's quite stunning. So Michelle mentioned that they are quite uh, progressive, both Federman and Kenyatta. They are both for, at least the, the main things that are discussed are supporting the $15 minimum wage, uh, ultimate minimum wage, I should say, and uh, getting rid of the filibuster. Although these days, maybe now it doesn't seem so <laughs> progressive uh, when you talk about it. But I want to say that Federman 
came recently kind of changed his uh, opinion about fracking. Clearly, both opposed it. But recently, he said that he does not want to ban fracking because he thinks that science has not reached the point where it can ramp up quickly enough. So I don't know if that's a reflection of him kind of centralized his uh, positions a bit or not, remains to be seen. And finally, I want to say that with all these uh, basketball and football uh, players and owners, maybe they can open a team there at the Senate. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and about the fracking, it not he didn't just say that this that they couldn't ramp up. He also said that new regulations regarding fracking made it more um environmentally friendly. So yes, he's definitely moved to the center on that recognizing that he has to in a state like Pennsylvania that's so reliant on fracking. Now, let's move on to the non-competitive lightning round. We're going to start with solid democratic states. And Rena I'm going to go over to you. Can you tell us a bit about Oregon? Yeah, so Oregon, um, the uh, Senate race, they're usually uh, the the winner. Uh, Roy uh, widened the incumbent, so he won 2016 by a margin of 57-33. So, and the 2020 Senate race uh, uh, went uh, also by a margin of almost 20 points. So I think... You can see why it's a solid D. Uh, not much to say about uh, Roy Wyden, except that his wife inherited a bookstore in New York. Uh, so they're quite affluent. And they did ask for some uh, relief donations for that store. So that kind of created a little bit of news. But if that's all the news you can create and you won by 25 points last time, I think you're pretty safe. Michelle, what can you tell us about New York? New York. Well, the Senate seat's held by Chuck Schumer, who, as we all know, has once again ascended to his apex of power in the Senate, heading a divided Senate and making news every day with things like passing a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. Uh, So his name is certainly out there. Uh, In 2016, he won uh, his seat with 70% of the electorate. Right now, there are actually four candidates who have filed papers against him. However, they are all Democrats or independents with New York City addresses um, and none with any name recognition out there. Um, His only real risk in a state as blue as New York would be in the primary. Uh, And the only name that's been talked about in the primary has been Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she had made some comments about uh, possibly running, uh, but apparently she has been warned not to challenge uh, Schumer by New York State Democratic Chairman Jay Jacobs, who said she would absolutely lose in a statewide race. Um, so it doesn't seem that there's too much of an issue in the primary and not too much of an issue in the, in the general. So I feel like New York is as blue, at least as Kentucky is red. Angela, what can you tell us about Connecticut? Connecticut is another very blue, true blue state. Um, Richard Blumenthal is running for reelection, uh, but his approval rating has always been pretty high and, in his last election, he won it, 
63 to 36. So it's very, he had a very strong showing and his, his approval rating has stayed pretty steady since then. Um, and Cook obviously has it as a solid D. Um, he, he has worked at, he has served in Connecticut as an attorney general for five terms and gained national recognition for suing the federal government over advertising tobacco products to, to minors, um, enforcing environmental laws, and uh, suing the federal government over unfunded mandates like the No Child Left Behind Act. Um, he only has, he has two opponents so far. Um, John Flynn, who is hardly a household name and I don't think will become one. Um, he had filed both as a, as a Republican and independent for the Senate in 2018 and didn't get on the on past the primary, and Robert Hyde, who, if we can remember back to Marie Yovanovitch um, and the Ukrainian plot, he was involved with that and Lev Parnas. So, again, I think Richard Blumenthal has a pretty good uh, clear sailing back into office. And I'm going to round things out with California. Obviously, Kamala Harris became Joe Biden's vice president. And Alex Padilla was appointed by Gavin Newsom. And uh, one interesting thing is historically, uh, there, there really is no incumbency advantage uh, for an appointed uh, senator. So there's something to look at there. And California is a bit strange in that it has a top two primary system uh, where uh, in the primary, whoever the top two vote getters are, they go on to the general regardless of party. Uh, and so and 2012 was the last time that a Republican was even in the general uh, uh, for a Senate seat. And so really the question is, is who is going to run against Alex Padilla? And right now, looking on the Republican side, you have, I mean, you have about eight or nine, I will politely call them uh, lower tier candidates who have already declared, uh, people who seem to pretty consistently run. They've run multiple times and got... Uh, they've barely gotten any votes in the past, uh, maybe a few thousand here or there. Uh, and um, so, uh, again, on the Republican side, there really doesn't seem to be any serious challenger uh, that's being talked about right now. Um, there is a rumor about uh, Daryl Issa, who would be a bigger name. Um, but the question is, is why would you leave uh, uh, a comfortable seat, basically, uh, for, to go and most likely lose uh, as a in a Senate seat? In a Senate race. Um, so then on the d Democratic side, um, there are a few people who have declared, but again, um, I would call them politely lower tier candidates in that um, you do have, uh, I guess there's uh, Jerome Horton, who's a former Inglewood councilman. Uh, he has uh, a history of, um, let's say, uh, some. he has some anti-Semitic comments and uh, questions about um, uh, improperly improper usage of funds. Uh, so... Uh, he probably won't go too far. And um, you do have some rumors. I mean, of course, there are some big names coming out of California. You have Karen Bass and Barbara Lee, London Breed, people like that who are rumored, but th there's really no news uh, specifically uh, around them. Uh, and the biggest name uh, that maybe has uh, said she explicitly won't run is Katie Porter. Uh, she's been, she was discussed uh, beforehand, but she's already publicly endorsed um, uh, Alex Padilla said she's looking forward to working with him. So um, uh, she's out. 
And uh, the only other thing that is interesting about California, well, <laughs> here, is uh, the Gavin Newsom recall campaign, which is also um, taking steam out of the Senate uh, uh, race. Uh, so uh, that's an interesting uh, situation where you have people who may have run uh, for the Senate seat, who the, you have three people who have already declared that they're going to uh, run against Gavin Newsom if that actually goes through. And it looks like it will. It looks like they got enough signatures. Um, and so that's like uh, uh, former San Diego Mayor Kevin Falconer uh, and uh, businessman John Cox, who lost to Newsom in 2018. And so, um, but uh, almost certainly uh, the seat will stay blue and um, it comes down to who will win, Padilla or a challenger. And now that we've gone through uh, the solid Democratic states, uh, Rena, I'd like to turn to you. Uh, what can you tell us about Iowa? So we are kind of in the solid red, but I would say that Iowa has been kind of a teaser, a purple teaser, because every time they give us some hope and then they go back. Because in 2018, after the 2018 election, just to uh, remind everyone, we have four uh, congressional districts. So out of those uh, four seats, uh, the Democrats won three uh, and a Republican held to one. Uh, but then uh, in 2020, uh, only Cindy Axney could actually uh, retain her seat. Uh, Iowa, too, was lost by six votes. The Democrats lost by six votes, which is, I know, heartbreaking to many. Uh, maybe there is still some rumors or some talks about some mishap, uh, missing some votes, voting counts, etc., but just to say that, um, so this kind of uh, Iowa is, is a state that's shifting. Also, it gave us a lot of hope in this 2020 election for a Senate seat when uh, Joni Ernst uh, ran against Teresa Greenfield. Um, everybody said that this is maybe a likely flip, but Ernst prevailed with a 6 to 7% uh, margin as well as the Biden lost by about 8%. So... Maybe in 2022, Iowa will come around again. Now, Chuck Grassley, who is the incumbent, the Republican, he's 87 years old. He has, in his um, career, uh, actually had a lot of support. Uh, sometimes his approval rating was about 80%. He, he won in 2016 by 60 to 35 margin. But in a recent poll, people really want him to leave the post and make it an open seat. 55% to 28% voted uh, for him not to run. He said, however, that he's not going to use polls to make a decision. He's So far, it's sa he says that he is uh, leaning into running, but he's kind of pushing his final declaration uh, and now he's saying he'll only say it in the fall. So speaking about what Angela asked when we talked about Wisconsin, is that going to hurt the Republican who wants to run? Who knows? Maybe he'll be pushed to uh, decide one, one way or another before. On the Democrat side, uh, there is some talks that Cindy Axney uh, may run. She is now the um, Iowa 3 uh, representative. So interesting, it may be not in the solid R for long. Michelle, what does South Dakota look like for 22? 
South Dakota has uh, Senator John Thune as the incumbent, who has indicated that he does intend to run for a third term. And as of yet, there are no declared challengers to Mr. Thune. Um, as a reminder, uh, John took out a very powerful Tom Daschle back in 2004 and has a pretty has had a pretty easy time getting reelected ever since. He was actually unchallenged in 2010, and in 2016, he won 72% of the vote to Jay Williams' 28%. And as you probably remember in 2020, uh, Trump won that state 62-36, which was about what he won it by in uh, 2016 as well. Um, The former president has encouraged their very right-wing governor, Kristi Noem, to run against Thune um, in the primary uh, when Thune had come out with some pretty critical remarks after the January 6th insurrection. But Noam has indicated that she doesn't have any intention of doing that. Um, that said, Democrats are in pretty rough shape in South Dakota. Uh, for every 100 registered Democrats in South Dakota, there are 175 registered Republicans. South Dakota was one of the few states that net gained registered Republicans after the insurrection. Another 2,000 Republicans registered after January 6th. None held a single statewide office, and there are only 11 Democratic legislators, whereas Republicans hold 94 in the state legislature. Uh, There are a couple names out there. Uh, Billy Sutton, who's a former rodeo star, he ran a strong campaign against Nome for governor as a conservative Democrat. Um, and as well, there's Stephanie Herseth Sandlin, who is now president of Augustana University. She held the uh, single U.S. House seat for South Dakota before she lost the seat to Christy Nome in 2008. Um, she hasn't indicated an interest yet, but um, she could be persuaded. Angela, what can you tell us about Indiana? Well, um, Indiana University, my alma mater, um, has their nickname is Big Red. And you could just say that about Indiana as well. It is a pretty big red state. Um, There hasn't been a a Democrat to win a statewide office since 2012. Um, This in the upcoming Senate election, we have Todd Young, who's in his first term as senator, but um, he he beats uh, his opponent 52 to 42 percent um, in 2016. So he's he's in a good shape and Indiana is pretty red. Uh, he's young. It's interesting because Young is considered a very moderate Republican, but at the same time, he voted with Trump 82 percent of the time. Um, He voted against impeachment. And let's not forget that Indiana is Mike Pence's home state. It's a solid R uh, with a PVI rating of plus five. And I don't think the Democrats uh, haven't heard of anybody challenging. And I'm not sure if they would get anywhere if they did. And to finalize things here, uh, Alabama is interesting because Richard Shelby has announced that he's retiring. Uh, and the real question is, is which Republican can win the primary? 
Alabama has a PVI of R plus 14, meaning a Democrat would have to overcome a 14-point disadvantage just to even have a shot. Doug Jones uh, is a recent uh, Democrat who was uh, elected to the Senate, um, but he only had that chance because Roy Moore was such a terrible candidate, and he was just beat by Tommy Tuberville by 20 points. There's really only one name uh, that's being looked at, uh, that's being talked about seriously on the Democratic side, because Doug Jones has already said he's declined. He's not going to run. And he also complimented Richard Shelby. But uh, Terry Sewell, she's a rep from Alabama 7, and she said that she's looking at it closely. And her comment was something along the lines of she thinks that, you know, Alabama has a shot to make a Georgia-like turn. But my sense of that is that's going to take, you have to do a lot of groundwork to, to make up uh, that partisan advantage uh, that exists there. Really what we're looking at is uh, who are the Republican candidates? And so you have uh, one woman who's already declared, her name is Linda Blanchard, and she was actually um, appointed uh, as the United States ambassador to Slovenia by Donald Trump. Um, and she is very Trumpian. She's, uh, she's already running. Um, uh, another person that's uh, absolutely expected to announce uh, shortly is Mo Brooks, um, the representative from Alabama 5, um, also uh, very Trumpian. Um, you have um, people who have expressed interest, uh, like Katie Britt. Um, she's actually Richard Shelby's uh, former chief of staff, uh, and she is a CEO of the Business Council of Alabama. And then you have John Merrill, who is term limited. He's currently the secretary of state of Alabama. Um, and so there are a few other names that are being thrown around, uh, but that's kind of the big, uh, list right now. And really it's a race between those people. Whoever wins that primary will almost certainly be the next, uh, Alabama senator. And I want to say that there are a few factors that we, we need to kind of, uh, watch as, as we go. One factor of course is the former, uh, guy and his impact on the candidates, uh, some of it already is demonstrated by the other factor, which is this opening seats, and they grow uh, every few weeks. Uh, we get another open seat. Uh, and of course, on the other side is what the Biden administration can achieve, what legislation can pass in Congress, what the Senate can actually pass. And that goes, a lot of it goes into uh, the filibuster uh, and how how they are going to approach that, which also will impact if HR one passes the whole uh, voter restriction uh, laws, state laws. So all these kind of uh, all these factors gel around to to make an impact on all these uh, Senate runs. I think that's a great rundown, Reno. We will be looking at all of those things and more as we move forward. I want to thank each of you for joining in on the first episode of Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. Michelle, it was great talking with you. It was a lot of fun. Let's do it again. Same to you, Rena. Yeah, I'm waiting. And thanks, Angela. You're welcome. I'll be here. Radio out.